0: Well, good morning, church. My name's John Nichols. Uh, It's such a pleasure to be here teaching with you this morning. Uh, My family and I have been a part of this church for a little while, and uh, I just want to thank you guys as I start off for your guys' hospitality for welcoming our church. Um, It meant a lot to find a church when we moved up here from San Diego uh, just a few years back, and a church that just a few weeks ago, my son was baptized here. So, it, it means a lot to us, uh, and that was, a, that was really poignant for him to want to do it here. When we were on vacation in New Zealand, I offered to do it in the lake there. He said, no. I offered him to come do it at the homeless shelter where I work, and he said, no, I want to do it at church. So the fact that he recognizes that this is his church means a lot to me. Uh, my, my other son involved in the youth group here, so that was big for my wife and I moving up here that we would find a place that not only we wanted to attend and, and be a part of. I kept looking for you over there. Sorry if you guys moved. Uh, but uh, that, uh, um, that our kids wanted to be a part of, right? That was big for us. So uh, we moved up here about two years ago so I could take a job at Open House Ministries, the family homeless shelter here in downtown. And often when I tell people that, their immediate reaction is, Why would you leave San Diego? (laughs) And uh, uh, I get that, but if you knew what I get to do, man, the question is not why would you leave San Diego, but why would you stay? See, I love what I get to do. I get to come alongside of homeless families in our one-year program and help them break that cycle of homelessness for themselves. I I get to see them often uh, break those the, the, the chains of addiction to see them develop a genuine and real relationship with Jesus, to learn life skills, to get their feet back underneath them, and to see their whole lives transformed. See, I love every day, uh, all throughout the week, I get to teach classes or, 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 or do a lot of spiritual development and spiritual guidance with our staff and our residents. And what I love at the core of all of that is I get to talk about Jesus a lot. <laughs> I get to talk about Jesus a lot, I love talking about Jesus. Jesus did a lot of crazy things. Jesus said a lot of crazy things, and so it's a lot of fun to talk about him. Jesus said things like, your right eye gau- like causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. Jesus says, if you believe in your heart and you say to this mountain, go jump into the sea, it will happen. Jesus said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect perfect yet the craziest one of all to me is when he turned to his disciples and he said go and make disciples of all nations of the earth teaching them to obey all that i've commanded you baptizing them in the name of the father son and holy spirit and i will be with you to the very end of the age see you may hear that one and go well sure and maybe it's because we live in this day and age, I think, of like these larger-than-life, these kind of bombastic vision statements by companies, right? In San Diego, I served as a chaplain of a hospital, and their vision statement was to become the best healthcare system in the universe. <laughs> I know, it was like, okay, we'll get on that when Elon Musk gets some rockets for us or something like that. I, I don't know how you do that out. But Jesus' words here aren't a vision statement, their command Go make disciples of all the nations of the earth. That's not a vision statement, that's a command. And think about who he, who he was speaking to. I mean, these are 12 extraordinarily ordinary men. Well, Matthew chapter 28, th- these are 11 extraordinarily ordinary men, right? He's lost one at this point. And he turns to them and he says, Go make disciples of all nations. I mean, these were men that probably hadn't left a 50-mile radius of where they grew up. These were men without cars, without automobiles, without seafaring ships, right? If you remember in the gospel stories, there's this story about them and the small lake of Galilee and a storm almost swallows up their boat, right? These were not men that were going to sail across the world. These were men without printing presses and phones and internet and podcasts and streaming services. How did Jesus expect them to do this? And this is much more than like a theoretical and and theological question. This becomes a really personal question. When we read that command, go make disciples of all the nations of the earth. At some point, I know I found myself asking, how do you expect me to do this? What does this look like? How am I to fulfill this? And the answer Jesus expected and the answers the New Testament authors point towards is the way Jesus did. And, I, and I'm not talking methodologically here. I mean, there, there's too many books that kind of flood the market talking about Jesus and, and his methods. Like, you should teach in parables. Or, or, or you should be single like Jesus did to do ministry like Jesus did. Or you need to wear sandals or camp in the wilderness for three years with 12 dudes. Like, all of that stuff. That's great. But, but nowhere does any of the New Testament authors point to any of those things as ministry like Jesus. And if anyone should have actually done that, like the Apostle Paul is a a great person to make that parallel for us, and yet he never does. I mean, Paul worked a trade, he he made tents, and yet never does he say, hey, you know, Jesus was like a carpenter and he worked a trade, so I work a trade, I I make tents because I'm trying to do ministry like Jesus. He he doesn't make that parallel. Or probably the, 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 the closest parallel would be, hey, Jesus was single, so I'm single, Because I want to do ministry like Jesus. And yet Paul, when he talks about singlehood, he he never brings that up. Right? There's one way which consistently Jesus talks about and the New Testament authors talk about what it means to do ministry like Jesus. And that's the Holy Spirit. To live a Spirit-empowered life. See, the, the gospel writers point this out. Right? That Jesus, on his baptism, the Holy Spirit came and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he went out and did ministry by the Spirit See, that same spirit that came upon Jesus in his baptism, that same spirit that empowered Jesus for the power by which he lived and ministered and performed miraculous signs by, that same spirit that raised him from the dead, and that's the same spirit that lives in you and I when we put our faith in him. So to do ministry like Jesus is to live a spirit-empowered life. So... I want us to turn to the letter of 1 Corinthians today. In this letter, it's a it's a pretty pivotal pivotal letter from the apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul teaches on the work of the Holy Spirit in believers to fulfill the mission of God. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 1 through 11 this morning. And before I read it, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, good and gracious God, may your spirit illuminate these words to us. Speak to us that we might hear the words that we need to hear, that we might leave not the same but transformed more and more into the image of your Son. That we might hear the words of comfort for those of us who need to be comforted, the words of challenge for those of us who need to be challenged. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 1 through 11. Now about the gifts of the spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that you were pagans, somehow or another you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the spirit of God says Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the same Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes him. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of workings. But in all of them, and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit has been given for the common good. To the one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, To another, a message uh, of knowledge by the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of the one and the same spirit. And he distributes to them each one just as he determined. That's the word of the Lord for us this morning. See, Paul doesn't want his church to be uninformed about the things of the Spirit. In fact, what we read in English as spiritual gifts in the very first verse there, it's, it's actually just one word, and it's spirituals. So it would be like the spiritual things encompassing all that Paul wants to talk to them about, Paul doesn't want them to be uninformed about the move of the Spirit and the workings of the Spirit and how the Spirit of God comes along and he propels believers of Jesus and followers of Jesus onto the mission of God. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed about these things. Right? To be a Jesus people is to be a Spirit-empowered people. And Paul says, I want you to know what the things of the Spirit are. And I suppose it's probably important for us to stop right there and just then define, like, what does it mean to be spiritual, right? Because that's a word that's thrown out in our culture and in our day a lot. And its use and the Bible's use of it are, well, quite different, right? Often the the word spiritual probably invokes this juxtaposition between uh, uh, what it means to be, like, material or physical and what is spiritual, something immaterial, but that's not the distinction the Bible makes when it comes to spiritual. Or likewise, it's very common to hear someone say, I'm spiritual, but not religious. And I think by that, that it means something like subjective, rather than objective, right? I don't follow the way or this prescribed way, Something, an object outside of me that, that says, do this. Instead, I do my own thing. I become the subject of my own path. Or maybe it means something like mystical and whatever that means. But when the Bible speaks of spiritual, when Paul says, I want you to know about the spiritual things, he says, I want you to know about how the Holy Spirit comes and animates and makes alive and works in us. He says, that's what I want you to know about. And what is the very first thing he points out? Verse 3, that it is by the Spirit of God that we say what? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. It's like the essence of the gospel. If there was one short phrase that summarized what the gospel is and what the gospel proclamation it was, and we see this all throughout scripture, it's Jesus is Lord. And I think there's this place, maybe as Westerners, that, 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 that becomes a little bit difficult because we're, we're, we're so influenced by democratic politics where we get some kind of say In who our leaders are. Like we get a vote. As if it's prom. And we get to vote in the prom king every year. Like we we get some kind of say. But for most of history. And most of the world. Leaders gained their authority. By defeating all other rivals militarily. And likewise Jesus. Comes to authority by defeating all other powers that claim hold over us. And this is why the resurrection is so important. Because death has a hold over all of us. Like whether we approve of it or not, whether we vote death into power or not, it holds power over all of us. And yet in Jesus' resurrection, he defeats the powers of death. So what? He rules ultimately. The confession is Jesus is Lord. When the disciples went out into the world, To make disciples and to proclaim the gospel. It wasn't, will you accept or will you believe Jesus is Lord? No, it's Jesus is Lord. You have one choice. Will you choose to follow him or not? But you don't get to, it's not a voting contest. They weren't going around gathering ballots for Jesus' Lordship. They were just simply making the proclamation. Hey, Easter Sunday, Jesus defeated death. He's Lord now. Would you like to follow him? And he's a good Lord. And he's a gracious Lord. And he's a benevolent Lord. And what does Paul say here? He says, that's the beauty of the first thing that we see as a sign and working of the Holy Spirit in our life. Is that we come and we make that confession. Jesus is Lord. Now, if Jesus is Lord and the Holy Spirit in that brings us all under the banner of Jesus. Then what do we make of the great diversity in the church? What do we make of this great diversity and demonstration uh, 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 that we see and observe in the church? Let's go back to the text, verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of workings, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. In their giftings, in their services, in their workings, there's the same source. Now, if you're one that likes to mark in your Bible, mark this, verse four, spirit, verse five, Lord, verse six, God. What a beautiful Trinitarian affirmation Paul is making here. Just as if there, just as if there is a diversity of expression, but there's a unity in purpose. Like we as a church become a picture and a mirror of the very God we worship. That there's diversity among us and yet we are all united in purpose. Just as there is one God and one essence of who God is and yet there is a diversity of persons. We, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is who we worship. And Paul is pointing us to this. That there is this diversity of expression in the church. Yes, we all come under the banner of Jesus as Lord. No one comes under by any other means. And yet, there's such diversity among us. And so he speaks of gifts. And what are gifts? I think more than the nine manifestations that will follow, and we'll talk about those, verses 7 through 11. And I say that because Paul, in in this very letter, points to the fact that that those who are uh, content sexually, or those who are fine being single as he is, Well, that's a gift as well. Paul uses this word charismata for gift. It's a grace gift. And he says, those who who live like that, that's a gift. Likewise, in in 1 Timothy, when Paul is speaking of Timothy's gift uh, and calling to be a pastor, he calls that a gift. In Romans chapter 12, Paul gives a similar but different list of roles and gifts and abilities, and he calls that all a charismata. Like these are all grace gifts, these various things. The Apostle Peter, when speaking uh, in 1 Peter chapter 4, all the different services one offers to the Lord for the building up of other people, he calls all of those things uh, a charismata, right? So there is this great diversity here. But I think if we had to offer maybe a summation of what this is, it's any ability that you have that the Spirit can pick up, animate, repurpose for the mission of the church, Anything that the Spirit empowers you to do is this gift Paul is pointing to. And what are these services? Right? These services are the are the roles, uh, are the places that you and I can go and serve the Lord for the building up of his body, whether inside the church or outside of the church. What are these workings? I think this... Is like Paul, where he often has at the end of a statement just more of like a big junk drawer kind of word, and he says, And on all of these workings, the, the, the Holy Spirit does many things. And then he leads us right into verse 7. And now, each one, a manifestation of the Spirit, is given for the common good. There's one that is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another, faith. By the same spirit, to another gifts of healing, by that one spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in tongues, and still to another the interpretation of tongues. And all of these are the work of the one and the same spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Man, we worship a good God, don't we? See, the Spirit has given you a gift or gifts for the building up of the church. That's what Paul makes clear. The Spirit gives all of these things for the common good. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul would say this is all for the building up of the church so that we might grow into the full maturity of Christ. That's why God has given us these gifts through the Spirit. See, without Jesus, we're a group of talented people. But because of Jesus, he's given us the Holy Spirit and we're a gifted people. And by that Spirit, he's brought us into one body. And he's empowered us to live on purpose, on mission. Like, that's a beautiful thing. Like, it's great to know your talents. It's great to know what you're good at. But it's a really life-giving thing to know that the Spirit of God is at move in you So that you might do the very things God's called you to do. So what do we need to know about these gifts? What do we need to know about these gifts? Uh, First, as I said, I don't even think this covers the rich diversity of the Spirit's working. The Spirit can take old abilities, lifelong abilities, and transform them for His purpose. The Spirit can take and bring upon you brand new manifestations, things you never even knew were possible. I've experienced this in my life. Things that I I had no idea I could do. But prayerfully and by the Spirit saw God work through me. Many of you, I hope, have experienced the same thing. What do we need to know about the gifts? That there's no particular manifestation. There's no particular expression that is the expression that marks now the Holy Spirit's at work. See, in different groups, in different places, that's what they would say. They would say, oh, this particular gift, that is the place in which now we know the Spirit of God is at work. Now, what has Paul said earlier? Paul said, there's different kinds of workings. There's different kinds of services. There's different kinds of gifts. And God has given all of them to us as a sign of the Holy Spirit working in us so that he might be glorified and the church might be built up. There's no particular gift that says, oh, that is only a spiritual person. And gifts, what do we need to know about gifts? I, I think simply that they're gifts. Like that's important to know. You don't earn them. Right? We can pursue them. But we don't earn them. They're gifts. They're the charismata, right? They're the, these grace gifts that have been given to us. The word, the, the, the primary use of that word is actually to speak of salvation that the working of Christ and his sacrifice for us to free us from sin and offer us a new life with him, that's the ultimate expression of the charismata of God, that by grace we have been saved and we respond to that grace and faith. That is the ultimate gift we've received. We don't earn that gift. We can pursue that thing, but we don't earn it. And while I, I suppose that, that leads equally to, to an understanding that, that, that becomes more difficult or, or challenges us more, and that is, they're not markers of maturity. And why that's important for us to understand is because often in the places that maybe you've experienced some misuses of spiritual gifts or some abuses of spiritual gifts that might be the reason. The holy S- they're not reward. Okay, so if you pray this long or you pray this deep or you attend this many prayer meetings, great. There you go. Right, my kids are in boy scouts. They're not merit badges. The the gifts of the Spirit aren't merit badges, right? I I wish they were. Like, I wish if you you came and served at your local homeless shelter, I could give these out at door prizes, right? But they're not. And so the common objection that gets arised at a place like this is to say, I think it's probably particularly around tongues or prophecy, hey, these are really misused, shouldn't we just set them aside? Like, they cause a lot of problems. These are the places where things maybe go uh, awry. Isn't it best for us just to to set those ones aside? The gift that has caused the most problem in the church, the, the, the singular gift that has caused the most problem has been the greatest threat to the church has not been tongues or prophecy. It's teaching. The apostles continually warn about what? false teachers. That's the greatest threat to the church that there's ever been, then and today. And you know what? Never once do they say, you know what? We should just get rid of teaching. (laughs) Like, hey, let's worship. We'll do communion, but oh, we go awry too often here. No, let's get rid of teaching. No, never do they say that. What do they say? No, we need to have good teaching. We need to have biblical teaching. We need to have teaching that glorifies God, not self. We need to have teaching that builds up the church, not one man's platform. That's the type of teaching we need. So when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit, it's easy to to have a, a reaction against maybe a bad use or a misuse and say, ah, let's just get rid of them. Let's set them aside. They're no good. But that's not the biblical response to them. These are gifts of the Spirit given to us so that we might glorify God and build up the church. These aren't things we want to set aside, but these are things we want to use well, right? Like, it's not enough just to desire the gifts. It's not enough just to want to pursue the gifts, as Paul would encourage us to pursue the greater gifts in this letter. No, it's really important that we learn how to use them well, that we learn how to use them according to scripture, that we know how to use them in a way that, again, glorifies God, not self A way that builds up the church, not ourselves. So, gifts aren't the problem, like we are. (laughs) I think, lastly, I think the thing we need to know about gifts is they're not an excuse or a justification against loving people or serving others. You know, you can't say, okay, my gifting is discernment, not setting up chairs, so I can't help out with that. (laughs) As a church planner for many years, that didn't fly, right? Or my gift is, is prophecy, so I just say it like it is. No, you can still speak the truth in love. Like love and service still guide all of what we do. Right? This is why Paul takes this weird break, if you're familiar with 1 Corinthians, where he starts talking about gifts and then he pauses and he just talks about love for 13 verses. And We read that in weddings and special occasions, and we don't have any idea that what Paul's saying is love has to govern our use of gifts. Because if it doesn't, they're useless. They're like a, 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 a clanging symbol. Like love has to govern the way we live and we operate in the spirit. Otherwise, it's all about us. And the crazy thing is, and the thing that I struggle to understand is, why would the Holy Spirit still give us gifts if we're going to misuse them? But I don't know. I think it's the same way when you give your kids good things and you hope they use them well, but you don't really have much control over what they're going to do with them. So we worship a good God who doesn't treat us as infants, but wants us to be partners who stand up with him. And he says, here are gifts. Use them. I've called you uh, to service use these things and use them wisely, right? So we can't let gifts become a justification for, for, for not wanting to love other people, an excuse that we can't serve in some capacity. No, there, there may be some that, that connect with us more than others, and I, I suppose that's the, the ultimate kind of question hanging out here, and that is like, so, okay, so how do I know what my gifts are? <laughs> and maybe some of you know, and for those of you who don't, I, I, think, I think in terms of three questions, right? And those questions of center around the ideas of affinity, ability, and affirmation. Like, what are you passionate about? What brings you joy? Like, where's your affinity? Like, where are your abilities? Like, what are you good at? And those first two things, it's really important. Those first two things really also, there's a big trial and error in all of that. So it, maybe if you're familiar with spiritual gifts and at some point you've, you've done one of those like paper assessments where like you answer questions, right? You, you can Google these. I'm not telling you to Google these. In fact, I don't much like them for this reason because it's going to ask you if you enjoy things that you've probably never done. Can you do something? I don't know. I've never done it. So a lot of this is trial and error. A lot of this is like, let me try this thing. Let me, let me pursue this thing and see if it is something the Holy Spirit's gifted me with or not. Otherwise, you may not know. Otherwise, you just keep continually sitting on a pew saying, I don't know. I'm just waiting for the Holy Spirit to gift me. And I don't know if it works that way. So you got to get out there. You got to try something. You got to say, okay, Holy Spirit, I'm open to wherever you're leading me. Right? And then the last one is really important, affirmation. Like, what are other people seeing me? Right? If we don't do that one, we have a great tendency as human beings towards self-deception. And if you don't believe me, like, the, 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 like just watch American Idol. <laughs> You're laughing because you know what I'm talking about, right? The people that get on there that, that, that believe they're great singers, that love to sing, and then what happens? Yeah, they like fall on their face huge in front of a national audience, right? So affirmation is big to turn to those trusted people in your life, to the people in the church and say, okay, what have you seen in me? Right, I, this really brings me joy. I get really excited about doing this. I see that, I, that, that, that I'm good at this, that the, the Holy Spirit's doing something in my life in this way. Are you seeing the same things? And well, that takes some humility to be open to that, but it really guides you and really gives a lot of direction. Because without that, we can go in all sorts of ways that end up being about us or what we want in some ways that aren't beneficial to the body of Christ, that aren't serving anyone else's good except our own little pet project that we think we want to be about. But no, these are given so that we might build up the church. So where do we go from here? Like, where does this lead us? This leads me always in a place when reading Scripture just to worship in gratitude. Like, I worship a God that's not only graced me with salvation, but then he's graced me with gifts so that I might serve, that I might stand up tall as a partner with him in the renewal of all things. Like, I I didn't even deserve salvation. (laughs) The rest of this is like grace upon grace upon grace. Grace. And maybe some of you just grew up in a tradition where where it was like, okay, you're saved, but you're really still no good, so just sit on the bench until Jesus comes back. But again, that's not Jesus. That's not his words. Again, he turns to these 11 men, and he says, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Not, okay, okay. You've like passed the test. I think you're good enough. No, he not only gifts us salvation, something we didn't earn, and we can't earn. But then he turns around and he gifts us the Holy Spirit, who empowers us to live a life like Jesus, to do ministry like Jesus. Like I, if that doesn't drive you to worship and gratitude, I don't know what would. Where does this lead us? I think to the idea of stewardship that the Holy Spirit has given you something, He's entrusted you with something. Use it wisely. For some of you, that might mean needing to pursue and find out what your giftings are. For some of you, you know what they are, but maybe you don't like them, or, <laughs> or maybe you're uncomfortable with them, or, or maybe you just got busy doing other things. And, and let this just be a, 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 a moment for you to hear again the Holy Spirit's prompting to say, I've given you something. Use it. I've given you something. Don't just let it sit on the shelf. It's not just good for you to know you have it. It's been given to you to use, so use it. Let me pray with you all this morning. Mm. Heavenly Father, good and gracious God. How undeserving are we of your grace? And yet how merciful and forgiving and loving you are to pour lavishly upon us your salvation at great cost to your son Jesus. And how rich in love and grace are you To pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. That we might make a confession. Jesus is Lord. That we might come. To be empowered by your spirit. So that we might. Join you. Stand up tall with our shoulders back. And join you. As partners. As kings and queens of your new kingdom. and the renewal of all things. To go out and make disciples of all nations. Heavenly Father. We're so undeserving of that. Thank you. Help us, Holy Spirit, to steward these things that you've given us wisely, to lean into them, to not be ashamed of them, to be bold in them, to take risks in them, to be humble in them, to use them to love and to serve. We pray these things in your son's name, amen.